All right, here's what I want you to do. Here's how we're going to get started this morning. I want you to pull something out to write with in a piece of paper. If you don't have something, I understand, but most of you know there's that little thing in your phone called notes. You can do it in there. So pull out your phone, pen, paper, whatever you have, and I want you to do this for me. I want you to write down your five closest friends, all right? I didn't say acquaintances, okay? Not people you know. When I say close friends, these are people like you can call them up at 2 o'clock in the morning and they'll actually talk to you. These are people that you have, as my friend Randy Frazee says, you have refrigerator rights with. In other words, when you're in their house, you don't have to ask permission to go to their refrigerator and get something to drink or grab a sandwich or whatever. So that's what I'm talking about when I say your five closest friends. Spouses don't count. Children don't count. Aunts, uncles, grandpas, grandfathers, cousins, they don't count. Your dog doesn't count. Your imaginary friends don't count, okay? Like five closest friends. So just start writing or typing whatever you're doing. Now, some of you are not doing anything. Like you either don't follow directions very good or you have like this many friends. Or we got an old phone, Pastor. An old phone. <laughs> and by the way, some of you folks online, I can tell you you're not doing it too. Those of you out in Colorado, I'm watching you. It's this ability I have. So everybody. Five closest friends. Hold on to that list. So as uh, Billy mentioned to you earlier, we're starting this new series this morning about friendship. And here's the key thought that I want you to remember through this whole series. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. You show me the people that you spend time with and I can show you the direction of your life. King Solomon, who's considered the wisest person that ever lived, he put it a little bit of a different way over in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, a thousand years ago. He said it like this, walk with the wise and become wise. And then he adds the other part, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Can you say that first part with me again? Everybody say it with me, just the first phrase there. Walk with the wise and become wise. So let's think about what that means for just a second. Walk with the wise and become wise. Here's what he's saying. You will become like the people that you hang out with. So if you hang out with people that are smarter than you, wiser than you, manage their money better than you do, have better marriages than you do, are better leaders than you are, if you hang out with those kinds of people, eventually through the years what will happen is you will rise to their level. They will have that kind of influence on you. And that's what, I, what I'm saying is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Then the second component of that, of that verse, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Here's what he's saying. The opposite of what we said in the first part. If you hang out with a bunch of losers, if you hang out with idiots, if you hang out with people that just want to party all the time, if you hang out with people that are getting trouble all the time, if you are hanging out with people who aren't doing very well in their marriage, 
they're going to drag you down to, and eventually you will lower yourself to their level. Show me your friends, and I promise that I can show you the trajectory of your future. In fact, as I look at my own life and I think about the people that had influence on me, people that poured into my life and people whose actions and mindsets were so positive and I learned so many things from them. So back to your list. Let me tell you why that list is important. Your five people. Sociologists and leadership experts have said this for years. You ready for this? You are the average of your five closest friends. You are the average of the people that are closest to you. For instance, chances are, financially, you are somewhere in the middle of your five closest friends. There's a few that probably make more money than you, probably a few that make less money than you. If you run with people that all they want to do is get drunk and stuff on the weekends, then chances are probably one of those people got drunk last night. If you are pursuing God with all of your heart, chances are three or four of your closest friends are also pursuing God with all of their heart. If you are a servant, if you volunteer somewhere, chances are three or four of your closest friends are also servants and also volunteer. You are the average of your five closest friends. Like it or not, what your mom said is true. You become like those you run with. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So look at your list or at least think about it. There's a natural question that comes out of your list. Are those the people that you want to be like? The people that you hang out with, those five closest people, are you hanging out with the right people? Do you want to become like those people that you're hanging out with? That's a, that's a great question to ask. Are these people that are going to encourage you along your faith journey? Are these people that are going to make you, bring you closer to God? Or are these people that are going to be pushing you away? Every area of your life. Are these people that have a good marriage? And they'll influence you that way. Are these people that do well with their finances? And they'll influence you that way. You want to get in better shape? Are you hanging out with people that eat Twinkies for a hobby? You'll be eating Twinkies for a hobby. You're who you hang out with. You want to be upbeat and positive? Are you hanging around with people that are all gloom and doom? Because that's how you become. In almost every area of life, you're the average of your five closest friends. So I want to ask you as we go through this series, think about that. Think about that concept, about the people that you hang out with. So here's what we're going to do. If we're going to do a series on friendship, we need to kind of define friendship, right? We need to define the word friend. So I went to the uh, FBV version, and I came up with a, a, a passage, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 in the FBV version. It simply says this, A friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person is born to like and comment on your posts and to make you feel good about yourself. 
That's Proverbs 17, 17 in the FBV version. Anybody know what the FBV version is? The Facebook version. So obviously, that's not real. But you know, we have to admit, Facebook is really redefining friendships. Here's how Proverbs 17, 17 actually reads. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Notice the first phrase. A friend loves at all times. Period. That's what a friend does. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all had five, six, maybe seven friends in our life who loved us no matter what? They were just always there. And not just for a, a short season of your life. You know, one of the things, we're such a mobile society that, that we're, you know, it seems like you're changing friends all the time because you're moving all the time. But if you have five, six, or seven friends that were like that, that just loved you no matter what, they were there not just for a short season of your life, but for your entire, you know, for like decades. I mean, these are people that you would know their spouses and they would invest in your children and you would invest in their children. And you learn from them and they learn from you and you make each other better. And they love you enough to tell you the truth when you're doing something stupid. And they'll kick you in the backside when they know that you're fixing to do something that's going to hurt you. And they're there to celebrate with you in the good times. And they're there for you when you're in the tough times. What if you had a community like that? Decades of friendship like that. A friend that loves at all times. But do you know what the problem is? Here's what the research tells us. The sociological research. Very few of us have friends like that. Very few of us. In fact, according to the Sociological Review, most Americans have two close friends. So that probably means, and I know this is probably true, for a lot of you, when I asked you to write down and then I started narrowing the scope of your five closest friends, some of you might have got one. Some of you might not could have thought of anybody that like, was super, super, like a real tr true and trusted friend. Probably very few of you actually got five that would actually be considered close, trusted friends. And here's the thing about this. 25 years ago, just two and a half decades ago, the average American had six close friends. So the, the friendship kind of idea is definitely on decline. And here's something that's even bo more bothersome. One in four Americans say they have no close friends. They don't have anybody at all who loves them at all times. I mean, maybe they have a spouse or something, but they don't have a friend. So friendship is declining. Why do you think friendship is declining? Just looking at some research, I kind of came up with three reasons. The first one is this. Friendships are declining because work never ceases and we're connected all the time. It's like these little devices here, while they're great and you can do lots of wonderful things, Man, they follow you home if you have that kind of job, right? I mean, like you're in the evening, you get a text about something at work, or you're getting emails, and you just constantly, depending on what kind of work you do, it just follows you all the time. 
And that hurts our ability when we're always connected to have closer friends. The second reason is this. Friendships are declining because of divorce rates. Divorce rates are not just hard on families. They're hard on friendships. You know, typically she gets the kid these days and he gets the kids these days and she gets this money and he gets that money and one gets this property and one gets another property. But in some ways, it's almost like that for friends, too. You know, sometimes the the couples that you used to hang out with, you can't really hang out with anymore because it's awkward. Sometimes the friendships, after you get divorced, they just don't work anymore. A lot of times, friends are taking sides, and and so that kind of splits up friendships. So divorce rates, they affect families, but they also affect friendships. And here's the third one. And when I first say this, it sounds kind of crazy in a way. It's because of social media. The explosion of social media. Now, you would think, well, it would seem like that would be the opposite, right? Because we can talk to people all the time and send texts to people all over the world and watch all kinds of videos and, and that kind of stuff. And let me say up front, I'm not against social media. I'm, I, I'm not. There's lots of wonderful things that you can do with it. Our church is looking at new ways of, of levering, leveraging social media. But it's definitely redefining the way we think about our friends. For example, I can guarantee you 20 years ago, none of you thought about calling all of your friends up at breakfast and telling them what you were having for breakfast. Right? I mean, all of your friends. But now we do that, right? Like you are having Frosted Flakes for breakfast, and what do you do? You take a picture of your Frosted Flakes, and then you post it and say, this is what I'm having for breakfast today. We didn't used to do that. But here's the thing. It's not only that, it's that we're becoming obsessed with our image online rather than who we are. And we care more about what people think about our image than we do about having face-to-face contact. You know, we, we share our hearts and our thoughts as much as we can in 140 characters. Or we put a, maybe a prayer request on Facebook and ask somebody to pray for ourselves, and that's kind of about it. And it's changing things. Or, or what's our favorite thing, right? The selfie, right? So you're, you, uh, you know, get your pose just right. And you make sure the lighting's good and you can edit it. If you don't like it, you take another picture, right? And you take a filter and mess around with it a little bit and Photoshop it a little bit. And then you stick it on, on, on the page, right? And you wait five minutes. Ooh, seven likes in only five minutes. Ooh, that's a great picture. And we're more concerned about what we think people think about us than we are actually sitting down and having personal relationships and intimate contact with people. Social media ought to supplement our relationships. It's not the relationship. And I don't even know that we always even do it consciously. Sometimes I think it's subconsciously. But we don't need to replace the intimacy of face-to-face relationships. You know what we end up doing with social media? Here's what happens. People have more likes and more fans and more followers and more Facebook friends. And yet every study will tell you people feel more alone than they ever have. People recognize that there's something wrong. 
They realized that God designed us for personal relationships, and we were designed to crave face-to-face interaction. I think that's something we picked up out of the pandemic, too, that, that's kind of zeroed that in. Online church is great. And, you know, being able to connect with people through social media, especially during the shutdown, was great. But it shouldn't replace face-to-face personal contact. And I think that's what people are realizing. They need personal face-to-face. They need relationships where you can look somebody in the eye and you can talk to somebody and you can see their facial expressions and, and you can read their body language. Person-to-person relationships matter. I know this has kind of been a long introduction this morning. And this morning is going to kind of be topical. You know, we went through the book of Genesis and we were kind of verse by verse. But uh, this is going to be a little topical this morning. And then next week we're going to kind of look at David and kind of get back into some more verse-to-verse studies. But uh, here's, here's kind of where I want to land for the rest of this morning. I want to talk about rediscovering the lost art of friendship. And when I say that, this is about you being the kind of friend you should be. Not talking about people coming to you or anything like that. Not your friends, but you. What kind of friend are you? And I just have two points this morning. The first one is this. Learn to be present. Could you say that with me? Learn to be present. Learn to be there. Develop your friendships face to face. Don't develop your friendships. Whoops. Don't develop your friendships thumb to thumb. Not like I said, nothing wrong with that. But those shouldn't be your intimate friendships. For those of you who are like me and you're not thumb people, you're finger people. Don't you could say don't develop your relationships finger to finger. Face to face. Presence matters. Think about this. When Jesus called his disciples, how did he do that? What did he say to them? Did he say, here's a book. Read about me and get back to me. Is that what he did? He said, hey, look at my Facebook page and like me. Right? Is that what he did? Hey, go to my website. Leave a comment and I'll get back to you. No. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Here's what it says. And he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, he's saying to them, come with me. Let's do life together. Let's eat breakfast in the morning. Let's journey together. Let's be real with each other. How many of y'all have seen this series that's come out called Chosen? Any of y'all seen that? A few of you? Okay. Chosen is this, uh, I know you can get it on YouTube. I don't know if it's on other places or not. It's this new series about Jesus. And about the life of, of, of Christ. And what's fascinating to me about the series is, you know, Scripture can only give you so many details. And theologically, of course, Scripture is absolutely 100% accurate. And everything the Bible talks about is 100% accurate. But it doesn't give you everything that happens in a story. So what Chosen has done, they've taken a little bit of liberty and a little bit of license based on history and stuff like that. And they've tried to give a picture of what life was like in that particular day and time. There's a lot of humor in it. You know, we don't ever think about Jesus being funny or the disciples being funny. But, you know, they're just by historical context trying to 
kind of present that to you and just how life would have looked and how they would have interacted and how they would have traveled. And it's pretty fascinating. I would encourage you to, you know, obviously remember that it's not the Bible, but it gives you some neat kind of ways of going, hmm, I wonder what life was like really back then. You think about what it may have looked like. And remember, the disciples did life with Jesus. They were present with Jesus. And here's what Jesus understood and all of us need to understand. The best way I can impart the love of God to you is to be with you and have you be with me. Presence. Presence matters. Parents, here's something I think you'll find extremely fascinating. Based on research, they've kind of concluded this. Our children are more dissatisfied with their parents, look at, listen to this, with their parents' obsession with technology in general than parents are dissatisfied with their children's obsession. And I know some of you are going, Dennis, are you nuts? I spend half of my day trying to drag my kids away from screens. How can that statement possibly be true? Well, it's not that parents are using it more. It's just that parents are more distracted with it. And as a result, your children are dissatisfied because they want your attention and they can't get it because you're on Pinterest sharing your latest recipe that's going to change the world. And in the meantime, they're like, mommy, 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 mommy. And you're like, whoa, 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 just a minute, just a minute. I got a post that's going to change our family. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. There's a Facebook post. I'll, I'll be with you in just a second. And they're frustrated because they can't get their parents' attention. Have you ever been to a restaurant and there's like a family of four or five there? And like every one of them is like this. And nobody's talking to each other. Like they're in a restaurant. And nobody's even talking. They're all on their phones. And this is something I've noticed at the beach the last couple of years. So, you know, you go to the beach, right? And you play in the ocean. And you're throwing frisbees. And you're building sandcastles. And I've noticed this thing that's starting to happen. People are putting up these pop-up tents. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. And then they sit in their tents. And everybody's on their phone. You're at the beach. And they're sitting there on their phone. They're not even talking to each other. They're playing on their phones. Be present. Be present. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. He said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, this is a verse or a couple verses here that we often use to talk about church attendance, but it also has to do with just doing life, just living life. When's the last time you got with a group of friends and you just kind of said, hey, what could we do today to show love and good deeds? What could we do today to show the love of Jesus Christ? Where could we go today where we can make God's love known? This word spur here, the word there, spur on, it means to prompt. Let's prompt one another to do works and acts of love. And then he goes on to say, and let us not neglect our what? 
are meeting together. That word meeting together is that word meeting is only used twice in the New Testament. And it means to meet together with a spiritual purpose. That's what it's talking about here. Let us not neglect the meeting of ourselves together with a spiritual purpose. But let's encourage one another. Let's do that. Let's not give up meeting together. You see, there's power in presence. There's power in physical presence. About 15 years ago, give or take a few years, God kind of brought this home to me in a different kind of way than I had ever thought about it before. Somebody, had, a church member, had passed away in one of our hospitals, and I was on my way to the hospital, and the funeral home had not arrived yet to, to pick up the deceased person. And uh, this person, a little different than some other situations, because I knew this person. They were, they were a friend of mine, a good friend. And um, I never know what to say in those kind of situations, and I usually pray for wisdom, but anyway, so I get there, and I walk into the room, and the family's there, and, and of course, it's very emotional, and my emotions just kind of overwhelmed me, and I just couldn't say anything because I was just too emotional. So I'm hugging on them, and they're hugging on me, and I'm trying to, to get some words out, and I just can't do it. And finally, after two or three minutes, I managed to mumble something, I'm so sorry, and that was, that was it. And then some other people started coming in, so I just kind of moved over to the corner of the room and just kind of stood there. And finally, after about 10 minutes, and I still hadn't got control of my emotions, I just kind of hugged them and went out the door. And I got out to the car, and I thought to myself, you suck as a pastor, right? Because it was ugly. I mean, you're supposed to go in the room and you're supposed to be able to, I mean, from a ministerial standpoint, you're supposed to be able to quote some scriptures and be encouraging and offer hope and comfort and those kind of things. I couldn't do anything. I mumbled, I'm sorry, and that was all I could get out. That was it. So I'm frustrated and I go back to the office, just, you know, you just stink, Dennis. About two, three weeks later, I get a note in the mail. Thank you for coming to the hospital. You have no idea, something to this effect, you have no idea what your visit meant. You were such an encouragement to us. What? And say anything, but a bumbling, I'm sorry. Didn't say anything. Presence matters. I said everything by being there presence it matters it matters so much there's something that happens when two or three are gathered together in his name there's something about his presence and his goodness but there's also something about our presence there's something that happens when somebody just doesn't send you an email and say i'm praying for you they come and pray for you there's something that happens when people just don't say I'm proud of you on, on an, a text or something, but they come in person, there's eye-to-eye -eye contact. You're good at this. I'm proud of you. Presence matters. So years ago, one of my children, she was a newborn, and she was about less than three weeks old. She was extremely sick, and nobody could figure out what was wrong with her. The local hospital couldn't figure it out, so they sent us to a big children's hospital 
and they had trouble, and they finally figured out what was wrong with her, and it wasn't good. Her organs were shutting down, and the long-term prognosis wasn't good at all. Of course, we were devastated, Renee and I, just absolutely devastated, and we're calling people and asking for prayer and that kind of thing, and all our friends lived in, you know, our families all out in Texas, and there was going to be surgery the next day, and there wasn't, it wasn't possible for any of our family to get there for that surgery. Anyway, about 7 o'clock that night before the surgery, the next morning was a knock on our hospital door. Opened the door, and it was my best college friend, Mike Meredith. After we had called him, he had gotten in his car. He lived in Springfield, Missouri, and drove to Asheville, North Carolina. 600 miles. So he comes in, and we can talk, make small talk for a few minutes, and um, he prays with us. We talk again for a little while. He wasn't even there an hour, and he said, hey, I've got to go. So where are you going? He said, I've got to work tomorrow. I said, I'll get you a motel room. No, you can stay at our house. We're not there. No, I've got to be at work tomorrow. Got in his car about 8 o'clock that night and drove back to Springfield, Missouri. So he'd driven all day to get there. He drove all night go to work the next day without sleep. Just came to pray with us. I'll never forget that. The power of presence. Presence matters. And I'm not just talking about being physically present. I'm talking about being emotionally present. I mean, sometimes you've seen it. People are there, but they're not there. They're on their phones. They're watching TV, whatever. What if your action said, for the next hour, or however long we're in this meeting or in this conversation, put this in my pocket, I'm going to put it on silent, I'm going to put it in my purse, whatever it is, and you say, hey, you're the most important thing right now, the power of presence. How would that change your family? How would it change the workplace? How would it change your friendships? Let's not give up the habit of meeting together as some in the habit are doing. So that's the first thing. The power of presence. Here's the second thing. Open up and be transparent. Open up and be transparent. There's an interesting phobia that's developing in our country right now. And some of you are going to laugh when I tell you what it is. People are afraid to talk on the phone. Isn't that crazy? I mean, especially depending on your age. People are getting afraid to talk on their phone. It's the newest and fastest growing fear in our country. And here's why they say that. People lose control when they're having a phone conversation. Now think about this. Think about how many people, you pick up your phone and somebody's calling, you're like, I don't want to talk to them, I'm just going to text them, right? Sometimes you never even go back and listen to their voicemail because you can control the situation. When you text somebody, email somebody, you can edit it, you can craft it, you can delete stuff that you don't want to say, and you control the situation. But when you're having a phone conversation, you don't know what direction it's going to go. And so you lose control. And they say that's why people are getting afraid to talk on the phone. And what's funnier is they don't even know how to talk on the phone, what to say, and then at the same time, they don't know how to get off the phone. 
You ever notice that? You're talking to somebody sometimes, especially a younger person. Uh, See, uh, yeah, you have a good day. Uh, And it's just real awkward because nobody wants to just say bye. And people don't know how to talk on the phone. And it's a phobia. So people don't know how to share their hearts anymore. It's the same thing with other social media. You can post what you want. You can edit that picture. You can create whatever image you want to create. And people don't know how to engage in face-to-face conversations. James chapter 5, he gives us some interesting insights in this whole transparency idea. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So what does it say here? Confess your sins to who? Each other, right? Not just to God, to each other. And then what happens? We pray for each other. So why do we pray for each other? So that we'll be healed. And it's talking here both about physical and spiritual healing. So we pray for each other. So, so what does it look like when you're being transparent and you're carrying this out? How different would things be spiritually if you had these trusted Christian friends and, and you're saying, you know what? I'm just struggling with anger. Or you say, you know, my parents are just driving me up a wall. Or here's one that's become so prominent during the pandemic. I am so depressed and I just can't get by it. What happens when you have friends that you can do this with? You know, there's a group of young men in our church. most of them have younger kids. And I didn't know this till about six or eight weeks ago. And I just think it's so cool. And I know there's other people that do this. But anyway, these guys, and, and staff had nothing to do with this. Nobody set anything up or encouraged or anything like that. It's just something they're doing on their own. And they get together and they have a Bible study and they pray for each other and they do life together. We all ought to be doing that. We all ought to have people like that because they're doing what we're talking about here. And they're making each other better. And, the, and their friendships, they're encouraging each other. That's what we're talking about here. Being transparent. Being real. Craig Rochelle has this statement. I love this statement. and You have to kind of think about it for a second. But he says, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. Do you understand what he's saying? Yeah, I can impress people with the things that I accomplish or my position at work or whatever it might be. But you connect with people when you're transparent, when you show them your weakness. When we, when we drop our guard, the online persona, the image, and we say, here's what I'm going through. I'm not talking about saying this to everybody, but I'm talking about your closest friends. You can say things like, here's what I'm going through. This is what makes me afraid. Here's what I'm struggling with in our marriage. Here's that temptation that I just can't seem to get over. This is what makes me fearful and anxious. And then somebody else goes, I'm like that too. Or I've done that. Or here's how I kind of got over that. And we build each other up and we connect with each other. I read about a small group who had a... uh, a young mom who had just become a believer and had just kind of joined their group. The group was established, and she had just kind of came in, come into the group. And uh, she'd been there about three weeks, and about the third week, she said, she just broke down crying. And she said, 
I pay the bills by being a stripper. And she said, I hate it. I've never liked it. And said, now that I'm a believer, I know it's wrong. And I know it's a terrible example for my daughter. And I know God's not happy with me. But I can't see any other way to pay my bills. And one of the young men in the group said, I'll help pay your bills. Another guy said, I'll help you pay your bills. And pretty soon the whole small group said, we'll help you pay your bills until you can find another job. So the next day, she went in, she quit. By Thursday of that week, she had found another job. And today, she has a ministry where she helps other women get out of that lifestyle. Because people were willing to be transparent. Be real. Be authentic. That happens in face-to-face transparency. Because people connect through weakness. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you again this morning. and Father, as we talk about friendships today, I know there, there are folks here that when they try, probably try to get ready to make this list, there was nothing. Father, I lift them up to you. I know they feel alone. Father, they're probably struggling, frustrated. Father, I just pray that you're real to them today. I pray that you send people in their life that can be that kind of friend for them. Father, I thank you for the friends that I've had in my life, people that have made a difference, people that have built me up, people that have challenged me. Thank you for that. Father, I pray for all of us today. Maybe there are folks sitting here this morning and they're, they're thinking about the people they hang out with and they're thinking to themselves, I don't really want to be like that. Father, give them the courage to develop a new friendship circle. Give them the courage to look for other people to be influencers in their life. Father, I pray for all of us this morning. Just speak to us through your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.